You think you have life figured out? I never feel like I got life figured out. Men have to figure out what they have to do. If you really have an obsession to figure it out, you will figure it out. Figure out who you are, don't apologize for who you are, and then become even greater than you naturally are at what you are. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number seven of the FitFo Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Verdusco, just a regular dad trying to figure this whole parenting thing out. This was a fun episode for me where I geek out on a topic you will either love or potentially have absolutely zero interest in. Cryptocurrency, NFTs, the metaverse, and Web3. Now this episode was actually recorded back in June of 2022 with a good buddy and mentor of mine, Mike Knittel. He's been my go-to for all things Web3 and an early adopter in the space with an impressive NFT collection that's been featured in Rolling Stone, Variety, and Business Insider, just to name a few. Now, I know this may be a little out there for some of you, but tune in to learn about how some of the biggest brands in the world are thinking about these technologies and why I'm so bullish long-term on this movement. Enough for me to actually buy a World of Women NFT as my wife's push present for our second daughter. And believe me, she was thrilled. So sit back, relax, enjoy. Here we go. Mike, so good to see you, sir. Brian, Uh, always good to see you. Obviously, really appreciate it. Um, So uh, real quick, wanted to get into today. My guest is a father to two sons, right? Gabe and Jacob, a a grandpa to Walker and now Memphis. Two weeks in, founder and chief investment officer of Lagunitas Asset Management, not the beer company. Uh, An angel investor, NFT enthusiast, and a fellow sneakerhead in the Jordan Ones today. Uh, Very much appreciate that. Uh, Mike Niddle, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Brian. It's always good to be here, bro. Thanks again for having me. Uh, of course. And in the orange, love it. Giants, you know, Warriors tonight. Appreciate you sacrificing your time to come talk with me during a big game. Well, you know, when when you show up, you know, to a podcast and your homie gives you, like, you know, the authentic Warriors championship ring, you're like, my people, deeply touched. Yes, Brian just gave me this wonderful piece right here. Super amazing dude. And yes, game one tonight. So stoked about that. Uh, it's been an epic year. And that one, I will say 2015, I think, was the year that one. If I look at the box correctly, you know, it was a special year. Yeah, so number one. I've been holding on to that to give that special someone for like seven years. To be your special someone, Brian, is... <laughs> <laughs> Chokes me up, bro. All right, well, so I, I want to get started talking a little bit. Well, I'll give the origin story. How we met, um, for me, was at the round table. Of, I, I think we're at a Roseville location, angel investment opportunity. Um, and so you walk into the room, and I'm kind of the new guy. Uh, and I don't even remember. I don't think we invested in the company. I'm pretty sure neither of us did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember you just peppering them with questions. And you know the way that you were thinking through the investment strategy um, and just understanding their business model. I was like, man, this is somebody that I need to be around. I want to learn from. I'm excited to hopefully get in my circle. So here we are a couple years later now, and I've been able to be fortunate to be on a couple deals with you and uh, appreciate you bringing me in. But thought I'd tell the audience or have you tell the audience a little bit about your background. You know, today my goal is to talk a little bit about NFTs, crypto, as my episodes are always trying to focus on figuring something out. I'm hoping you can help me figure out Web3, but maybe tell people about your day job if you don't mind. 
Yeah, dude. And it's funny because I remember that moment when I walked in and, you know, of course, I naturally pick out the only other guy in the room that's under 45, which is <laughs> so rare in those deals. And I remember using the Google when they were making their pitch about being the only company in the world to offer multi-factor authentication. And I, you know, did a Google search and I asked them, have you ever heard of this Israeli security company? You know, like number one on the list. And they were like, no. And I was like, well, apparently they do exactly what you do and Okta back them. And they're like, well, we do something completely different. I'm like, well, end of investment opportunity. So, but it turned out to be really great because we met and have kindled a really dope friendship. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm basically just super interested in solving financial puzzles and that can take place in, you know, kind of my main arena, which is on the stock and the investment side where I run portfolios for clients. Obviously, the stock market sucks, so I haven't been solving very many, very many riddles lately. I'm active in the venture capital space and early stage companies and about... 15 months ago or so, I tripped and stumbled down the world of NFTs and everything that's going on in Web3 and um, very, very interesting place at this point. Yeah, man. To, I remember that first conversation we had, I think it was at a Pete's Coffee, talking about NFTs. And I think Top Shot was like just starting to come on and Gary Vee's podcast we were talking about to see what you've been able to do in the space from that point on a, a mere 15 months ago to now. It's been pretty incredible, man. You, it's, it's funny because, you know, I look at like NBA Top Shot as the best thing that could ever happen to me and not for financial reasons, because I taught myself some extraordinarily expensive financial lessons, collecting moments of players, you know, that became basically worthless as they flooded the market with more of these moments. And if anybody's you know, isn't familiar with NBA Top Shot, it's basically this platform that's like almost like the new virtual baseball cards. And you can be, you have a common moment where you're one of 15,000 know, people that owns this nine second reel of Steph Curry shooting a three pointer or, you know, a, a super rare moment. But as you can imagine, like if 15,000 people own this moment, it's not quite as special as if you own a one of one piece of art, for instance. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I started there and, you know, just kind of kept reading and what I learned and, and where I'm at right now is that I have little doubt that the metaverse and everything that's being built on the Ethereum blockchain is going to be the biggest area in all of technology over the la over the next five to 10 years. And and I you, know, you often hear the you know, the phrase follow the money and and it's not the, it doesn't mean follow where everybody is making extraordinary returns. Um, it's more, where do I see the biggest and most intelligent investors and companies placing a ton of their bets going forward? And so you don't have to look any further than something near and dear to our hearts, sneakers. Um, Nike and Adidas were some of the earliest adopters in that space in either acquiring major companies that were in NFTs or launching their own projects. But more importantly, the biggest and baddest venture fund in the world is a company out of the Silicon Valley called Andreessen Horowitz, it's A16Z. And they are leading literally every major investment round into Web3 companies. 
and writing checks as small as $5 million and as big as a quarter of a billion dollars. And, and those numbers sound big to us, but when right. you think about a venture firm that controls roughly $50 billion in assets, it's not very typical for them to write $5 million checks. Like that doesn't move the needle, even if that goes up 100x. Like now they've just increased their assets by 1%. But I think what it is, is they are using this as placeholders because they, like me and a lot of other believers here, recognize that the blockchain is this transformative piece of technology that we are in the earliest stages of that's hyper inefficient, um, riddled with problems, but has the potential to be this next level that they call Web3. And so, so many thoughts going off of that. I think for me, and maybe taking a step back for people in the audience that are just starting to learn about this space. I mean, we've all heard of crypto and NFTs, and I think some people now know the board ape being kind of like the best well-known, which I think you're an owner of at least one. But how, how is this going to become a utility? Like, how are people going to start to be able to use their NFT? You know, I thanks to you, uh, when my wife gave birth to our second daughter, I'm in the hospital scrolling through OpenSea, looking at some NFTs, and you had told me about World of Women and Crypto Chicks and Boss Beauties at that time, and I bought my wife a, a World of Women NFT as a push present, and she's like, what the fuck did you just buy me? And what is this actually going to be used for, and can I cash this out yet so I can go buy you know things I actually would care about? I'm like, babe, it's the future. <laughs> You're in a class with Reese Witherspoon and all these famous Eva Longoria and you know all these you know powerful women. Uh, but at the end of the day, I truthfully like how how do you see this working out from a utility perspective? And you know what do you think the future is going to hold in the next twelve two years from now, twelve months, two years, five years down the road? Well, and and it's funny because like. I've probably talked to over a hundred people about my experience and explained what do you need to do to set up and actually buy an NFT and you know downloading MetaMask wallet and buying Ethereum and transferring it over there. And there's three people that have actually done that, and you were the first. And when I remember you know that text when you were in the hospital and you were like, okay, I just bought a world of women, and I was like how amazing because you were like, I want to buy one for my wife and one for each of my daughters. And what I think is really neat, right, is like we don't know exactly how this stuff will be used in the future. Um, I think that it's really important to give people the basics about like why the blockchain matters and then what these NFTs or other you know, things that kind of sit on the Ethereum blockchain and why all this conversation of utility really matters. And Mark Andreessen said it you know, best a couple of years ago, said one of the things that's powerful about the blockchain is it provides the ability for a truly trustless transaction. Mm -hmm. And he didn't mean a distrustful transaction. He meant that um, in most transactions in the real world, it takes place between two parties, me and Brian, or me and Google, where, or me and an attorney, or, or I buy art from somebody and I have to trust the art dealer. And now we're trusting other humans. And we're simply trusting their ability to, you know, to execute that and to be honest with us. On the blockchain, all you do is trust the math. So, when you make a purchase of an NFT or some other form of a digital asset, um, what you have 
is ownership that's verified by math on the Ethereum blockchain. And each one of those assets has a contract that's been written and burned into the Ethereum blockchain. And so whatever that contract dictates that that ownership gives you is what is fully transparent and cannot be edited or altered. So um, all of these NFTs out there, because some are just art pieces mm -hmm. that entitles you to own this piece of digital art. And, and, and for people like myself, I don't really see me hanging out in the metaverse and displaying my piece of digital art you know, there for people to enjoy. But it is a way to verify that I own this piece and nobody else does. And obviously the counter argument is, is well, I can just right click save that thing. Great. Just like anybody can pull up the Mona Lisa pictures on the right. internet and save that image. But that doesn't mean you own the Mona Lisa. So the other aspect of utility where things like the Board Ape Yacht Club or World of Women have gone kind of a step further is to use that picture as your ownership token inside of this club organization community. Mm -hmm. And the way that you know, certain, um, I think the, the, the reason that some of these NFTs become more valuable is because the people that are running the NFT companies that create them, in the world of women's case, it's a, guy, or a woman, a French artist named Yam Karkai and her husband, Raphael. And what they've done from the very beginning is be totally transparent about who they are. That's called doxed in this space. That means you know that you know who the person is that's standing behind this project. And that as you've seen, since owning that piece, they've airdropped you multiple pieces of art. They've airdropped you an additional NFT called World of Women Galaxy. They've allowed you to purchase World of Women merchandise that you can only purchase if you own the NFT. And there's now this thing called World of Women Galaxy, which yeah, from, from, from the looks of it is an entertainment platform. So the, the thing that I think is really powerful in the case of uh, WoWs or Bored Apes is that both of those organizations grant me and you as the owners of those NFTs full IP over them. So that means that Brian um, can take his world of women that he owns and use it however he sees fit. That's always good when you bang the microphone because then it's just thunk. But I talk with my hands a lot. I'll try not to bang my ring. I should probably put that don't, down here. Don't break that thing. Um, and that means that if you create a product or you uh, have advertising that you do with your company, um, that you can use that wow in any capacity that you can see fit. And so as we've you know, already seen, there was a restaurant called Bored and Hungry that opened down in Los Angeles where the owners use their Bored Apes and Mutants in all of their branding. And what that signals to the people that are going there is that this is a place where it is not just NFT friendly, but part of the community. And there's, because so much of this is about community and about like a sense of belonging. Because I think what happens more often in this world, and obviously this is kind of all over the place, but especially during the pandemic, so many people lost community. Um, they were isolated. And this exploded during lockdown. 
And so people were now connecting with other people who were learning about something that was brand new to all of us and had the ability to start forming these deep relationships. So um, I think what happens when you have a brand that uses these you know, NFTs as a part of their messaging is signaling to other people that are part of this ecosystem that I get it. And it is such a powerful pull um, if you have like, I can choose hamburger stand number one or the board ape hamburger stands. Yeah, I, you mentioned something that I didn't really think about as much until, you know, just, first of all, actually, can we take a step back? How fucking ridiculous is half of this sound when you regurgitate it? You're like, this is where we're at in 2022, talking about monkeys and women. It's and gonna get more ridiculous, bro. <laughs> yeah. This is the beginning of ridiculousness. We're only at the, the tip of the iceberg. Oh, uh, I can't wait to talk to my girls about this at one point, be like, you know what your dad bought you back in 2022? Is and now it's worth $100,000. And they're going to be like, thank God my dad was an early adopter because your kids, like my sons, you know, are going to get it because like my boys and your daughters eventually will grow up inside of metaverses, you know, and, and Fortnite, Minecraft, Roblox right. are all web two metaverses that you can go in, experience, play, buy, equip. But the difference between Web 2 and Web 3 is that inside of a Web 3 metaverse, you can now physically own what you're buying there and have unalterable rights to those things that you're purchasing. And that could be things as simple as the clothes that you wear inside of the metaverse. Everybody wants to look different. Mm. Um, currently, my son is spending an ungodly amount of money on skins inside of Fortnite. But in Web 3, you know, those skins will be yours and you can take them into other metaverses once that bridge is built. You have the ability to buy parcels of property inside of the metaverse and become a virtual slumlord and build whatever you want to be. So now you aren't just a participant in a game that's sending money to an Epic Games, Fortnite's creator, right. but you're now an owner inside of their ecosystem. I, that ownership thing, because I even have people that have told me a little bit about like they own horses in the metaverse and now they're breeding horses and now they're actually making money, real money. Yeah, Zed off, Run. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think there's lots of uh, utility that's going to continue to happen. I don't know. Can that continue? I, I guess the answer is probably yes. But I think what I wanted to circle back to was the community part. You know, you and I, fellow sneakerheads, right? Uh, but it was hard for you to know who else was sneakerheads unless you saw them out in public and saw them wearing them. Well, now as you go into Web3 and go into these different metaverses, you can find people that you can connect with that you actually have similar interests to in a way that we've just never been able to do it before. Yep. You know, if you were an art collector, and you wanted to be around other people that wanted a Picasso, you know, yeah, you probably know who some of them were, but you weren't going to the same, you know, Board Ape Yacht Club and being able to meet with each other uh, and talk about that, not just digitally, but actually in a metaverse or even, you know, sounds like some of them are doing them in real life, like the restaurant you mentioned or, you know, different clubs that people are starting with these NFTs. So I like that sense of community. I think that's something that a lot of people are scared of as we go to this web three and everybody's just gonna be living with a headset and in a metaverse and not talking to people. And it's like, no, you know, what they're gonna be doing is finding new ways to connect with people that actually have passions and interests that are similar to theirs that they can start to create things with. Uh, and that to me is what's gonna be the opportunities everybody's gonna be able to experience, especially our kids as they grow up in this. Yeah, and I, and I think that what the, the paradigm shift here is that 
that's what social media was intended for. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously it's gone off in some pretty terrible directions. And what I've seen um, because of NFTs and specifically on Twitter um, is that it's, it's allowed people of common interests to find each other regardless of geographics, you know, proximity. Mm. And so like on the subject of sneakers, for instance, like I'm in a Twitter DM string with 11 people, you know, from across the world, some in Canada, some in Europe, some in LA, and like some people like massive sneaker collectors that I would have never run into in real life. And the ability to like just shoot the shit with people that like the same things that you do has been made possible by companies that are now offering digital sneakers that you can own. And so a lot of us are like, well, what the hell are you going to do with a digital sneaker? Well, the reality is, is that a lot of those things that start off digitally are just a blueprint and testing ground for fashion brands that once they figure out what is right and what do people want, then they actually turn these into real life physical pieces. And that's what you see right now with Nike, where they have limited edition crypto dunks that they've created. Um, And like some of these things, there are a hundred of them out there of this very specific type. And you will have the ability to forge these in real life. And so as you can imagine, like it, it was considered ultra rare when, you know, those Jordans that they did with I can't remember the major fashion brand. There was 10,000 of them and immediately they were reselling for five grand a piece. How valuable are sneakers where there's a hundred of them and they were the first Nike crypto dunks ever created. And so that's why those NFTs literally trade for $100,000, which is stupid when you think about it. You're like, I just have a virtual sneaker. But then it's not just the physical piece, but this could become the the actual launching pad from which all major, you know, Nike products are born. Is it at the point now where they're going to give you actual shoes and NFTs at the same time? Like, has that happened yet? So that's that's where this is going. And so Nike, um, I think it was December, they acquired a company that spelled R-T-F-K-T, but is pronounced Artifacts. And they... Um, became like the preeminent virtual fashion designer. And so when Nike bought this company, um, they already had an NFT collection that came out, you know, like a standard profile picture company called, darn it, my, my, it'll come back to me in a second. And so for all holders in that, a couple of months later, um, Nike, known as Artifact in this space, decided to drop something called a monolith which was like this spinning box. And they literally let it just spin for two months without people knowing what was inside of it. It kind of created this like childlike wonder and speculation about what were in these boxes. Mm -hmm. And so when they finally opened inside of it, there were these crypto dunks. And so each crypto dunk came with a specific vial that you could use that would be used to color those shoes in a very different ways. Some were very rare, some were very common. And so they've already stated that, you know, coming up in the near future, you'll be able to forge those sneakers in real life for free. So you owned a a profile picture. They gave you the crypto dunks for free, which some of them are now trading for $100,000. And you'll have the ability to forge those and turn them into something in real life. 
and you as that NFT holder is going to have the IP for those particular dunk. Yeah, you 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 own that NFT and then you would own the that pair of physical shoes when they're created. It's crazy that we're already at that point. I feel like it's happened so quickly too from when everything started taking off just a year or two ago. Yeah, and it's like you, you know, if we you know can look back over the past year and then say, "Wow, how fast did everything go and what new things were created?" It's kind of leaves me with like childlike wonder about what is it going to look like in a year when that next big leap in utility is born? And I think fashion in particular is so very interested in this space because Louis Vuitton, Gucci, a number of major fashion brands have launched NFT projects because it makes the most sense for garments and other things to be rendered digitally first. If you can now have a fashion show in the metaverse where you're having the eyes of thousands of people and the feedback on that going to the brands rather than walking the runway in the old traditional format, you can really figure out what slaps and what doesn't. Right. And the other aspect, you know, that most brands suffer from and specifically in sneakers is counterfeiting. I had my intern do the research and I think the overall sneaker market is like $350 billion a year the overall counterfeit sneaker market is $450 billion a year. Didn't so, StockX just come out or like Nike just questioned StockX on being able to like... Truly authenticate things? Yeah, really legitimize that they were actual... Well, right, because like you have these massive warehouses with human beings that are there doing their best to eyeball these things and say, are these real or not? Mm -hmm. And so how do you really know? You're just basing it on somebody's opinion. But where this is going is that one of the NFTs that I minted, they are going to be installing some form of microchip inside the sneaker sole. And you will be able to verify with your phone, um, which will then go to the blockchain to say, is this the same shoe that correlates with this NFT? And so you think now, if you're talking about a $25 shoe, that doesn't really matter. But if you're talking about a $30,000 Birkin bag or a rare piece of fashion or a rare sneaker, knowing that it is actually authentic matters to the end user. And it also matters to the brand because if they can now curtail the amounts of counterfeits that are going through, then they know they can sell more of their products. And so that's why these brands would have a distinct interest in verifying authenticity. Yeah. So is it going to be like a QR code or they're going to actually put a chip in it? I think it's going to be a chip. Wow. You said something in there, minting. So for some people that you know are fairly new to the space, can you explain what is minting an NFT and how do you do so? Yeah. So minting is just time of creation. When you know a company brings a new NFT project, you have the ability to go to their website, to connect your digital wallet to that website and to buy that NFT to mint it for the first time. And so when it happens, um, the one that you get is randomly generated, right? Because it's like a lottery system. Because in almost every collection, there are some NFTs that are rarer than others. So a lot of projects have five to 10,000 of these different NFTs that come out from their collection. Mm -hmm. And so if a, if a collection mints out, completely sells out, um, over the course of the next couple of days, or in some cases for a number of weeks, 
there will just be like like the spinning monolith where you don't know what you got. And so it creates this hype around like the thinking of, did I pull the lucky lottery ticket? It's you know, lights the gambler in most people. And it keeps this mystery alive. But minting is just initial time of creation. And is that at that point, is it actually randomized since it's on the blockchain? You would assume that there's not a way for if, you know, you know, some of the creators. Yeah, you're minting, but they're going to slip you the rare one versus, you know, me as a random person that finally got into this auction. So the randomization actually occurs at the time of creation. But if you if you have somebody on the inside and this is where it's been very common for it's one of the reasons that the blockchain is cool is that it's transparent mm -hmm. and you can follow everybody's transactions. And so there have been moments of controversy when people that um, are close to a collection wind up going and buying a certain NFT that hasn't revealed yet. And it just so turns out to be an ultra rare one. Yeah. So if you hit that lotto, you can potentially be sitting on you know, what some of these are going now for 100 grand, you're saying or more. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, like there are NFTs that are worth, you know, millions of dollars. And so that's why sometimes you hear the outcries of insider trading. Like, and, and it's an analogy that fits. But is there, <clears throat> is there such a thing as insider trading on private transactions? There aren't, especially in an unregulated space. It's distasteful. And obviously, as a project that's looking to preserve its integrity in the public's eyes, it's not a good idea to engage in that because somebody's going to find out because people way smarter than me are going to follow the breadcrumbs on the blockchain and be able to put two and two together and then call BS out when they see it on Twitter. And then you get blasted. Right. Well, that you're right. The transparency, that's what the blockchain is going to do. To me, as I understand blockchain, the most basic form is it's, it's like a general ledger, right? Where you can see every transaction that's happened, but you know exactly who held it before. Uh, you know who's holding it now, not necessarily the person, but the wallet or the address, and it can't be forged, right? That's the whole beauty of it. Well, yeah. And if you look at that in like a physical collectible space, for instance, um, there's a lot of credence that's placed on, you know, from a sports collectibles mentality about these are the shoes that were game worn by Michael Jordan. And so now I have to trust a dealer who might be selling this from an auction house that's been able to record. Yes, these are MJ's shoes. This guy bought them and then he resold them to this guy. And now this guy's bringing it to auction. If you have these MPC chips or RFID devices that are inside of them, you would be able to tap them and it'll show every record of sale back to creation. There seems like there'd be a lot of use cases for that. Tons. Yeah. So, okay, we've talked a little bit about the NFT space. We've talked a little bit about what minting is and what the utility could be. And there's so much more to go. I know we only scratched the surface. Uh, how about in crypto? Obviously, uh, at this point in time, well, the last couple of weeks that we've seen has been uh, pretty vol volatile, right? It's all going to zero. <laughs> I know. Uh, you know, everybody at the Twitter sphere that I was in as I was learning about all of this crypto and NFTs and space, everybody was always, you know, buy the dips, buy the dip, right? Mm -hmm. seems like that's kind of, I don't know, left that environment. People have stopped saying buy the tip. And I think people have actually lost a lot of money. But what what's your thoughts right now on where the current ecosystem is? And, you know, how big is it still, you know, from a, a market cap perspective? And where do you see it potentially going? 
Uh, it's a really good question. And, you know, I think people buy the dips until they've run out of regular money to buy the dips with. And then, you know, natural human emotion takes over, which is like, this just sucks. And and like it or not, like so many of our financial decisions are driven by the heart rather than the mind. Mm. And even if we know we should double down, um, there's it, it's always important to realize like, that, that is with the money that you can afford to lose because the safe money that you have, you know, like what you would take care of your family with if you lost your job should not be part of the equation that you're looking to buy the dip with. Right. Um, but the biggest transfer in how the crypto market has worked and these highs and lows of prices has dramatically changed in the last nine months. Because before, it was always looked at as an asset that wasn't correlated to the stock market. Um, But institutional capital from hedge funds and large investment firms has now come pouring into the space. And it really started in September of last year. And so since that point, crypto has traded almost at a one-to-one correlation with the NASDAQ. So if the NASDAQ goes up, then crypto goes up. If the NASDAQ goes down, crypto goes down. And in a way, it makes sense because the NASDAQ is obviously technology companies. Um, The blockchain is essentially an advanced technology. Um, It's also a risk asset. And so if you look at the way very large technology companies have sold off dramatically in the last four or five months, some down 40 to 50%. And we're not talking about just fly-by-night businesses. Companies like Shopify have lost 75% of their value. Um, And that's like across technology. So as we've seen every, you know, like a day like today where the NASDAQ gets drubbed to the tune of 4%, of course, crypto is down. So we just have to accept that Yes, that's going to be correlated directly there. Um, Does it make sense in terms of the fact that things in Web3 are exploding and the use of crypto is only going to get greater and greater? No, that doesn't make sense. But in the short run, you have to accept that emotions rule. And if people are scared, they're naturally going to flee, even from an institutional level, things that they perceive have a greater degree of risk. So as you've been doing this for what, 20 plus years in the financial services? Yep. How have you ever seen anything like this come into the market like cryptocurrency and you know change kind of the whole financial investment? I'm sure as a financial advisor, you're getting questions like this all the time. Like what percentage of my portfolio should I have in crypto and you know alternative assets? And I don't even know if you can talk to that or not as you're educating your customers on it. But are you starting to see people flee that faster than they would flee real estate or that they would see other depreciating assets because of the speculation? Or are you also seeing at the actual personal level that people are treating it just like the technology sector? Yeah, I mean, from a from an investment perspective, um, obviously the questions about the space have only increased over the past couple of years. Mm. And it, it is very important whenever you're talking about investments and just recognize that none of what I'm sharing is financial advice. Disclaimer. A yeah. Disclaimer, disclaimer. Um, but you have to look and say, in these particular types of investments, if you're not willing to say, if this goes down by 50% in a month, um, 
will I have the fortitude to not sell, recognizing that it is an investment that could increase substantially. And we're talking about, let's say, the big cryptocurrencies like Ethereum or Bitcoin mm -hmm. as they become more viable. And there are even more use cases five years from now. And not everybody can say yes to that. And so in the case of somebody like us, Brian, where it's like, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm going to be 45 years old this year, but I look and say, yeah, I'm probably going to stay on this grind just because I enjoy what I do for the next 20 years and don't need the money that I've invested in you know, crypto and other assets like that. I am willing to say as much as it just really sucks because losing money sucks. Like nobody is going to tell you like, God, it was so great, you know, to watch my investments get creamed by 40%. Super awesome. But if I have, if I allow the rational side of where this could grow to take over and say, yes, if I had money that I wasn't, that wasn't part of the emergency reserve, um, it would be a great time to buy things when they're 50% off. And that goes for Microsoft, Google, I'm not going to say Facebook because I hate them, but good quality companies the same way it does for a technology like Ethereum. Yeah, I think, you know, the stock market's always where they say what well, it goes on discounts, the only place people don't buy. But, you know, if you're going into a retail store and you see 30, 40, 50 percent off, you get excited. Right. Feels like we're in the same space for crypto right now. The thing that I'm most curious about is like with Bitcoin, you know, everybody always compared it to gold. Right. Or that's what I kept hearing. Right. It's like a store of value. But now that, yeah, institutional investment has come in. Well, you know, Fidelity even adding it to their 401ks now, if I have that correct. Uh, obviously, it makes sense why it's fluctuating so much with the stock market. But do you still see Bitcoin as a store of value? Because everything that I'm hearing about NFTs and Web3, it's all talking about Ethereum. But mm -hmm. where does Bitcoin fall into this equation? I, I mean, it's a great question because um, the utility for Bitcoin at this point is virtually zero. Um, and, and, and I look at cryptocurrencies as only being as good as the blockchains that they're based on, like how much are they being used? Mm -hmm. And when you hear about NFTs or metaverses or many other cryptocurrencies, those are all just either built directly on Ethereum or their cryptocurrency is resting on level two or layer two of Ethereum. So they're based on the Ethereum blockchain right now. So. Is Bitcoin a store of value? If enough people believe that it is, that it is. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about Bitcoin, I do compare it most to digital gold. I don't own any of it personally and don't recommend you know, people to own it. Not because I don't believe that it will have long-term value, but if I can't build a business case behind something, then I don't tend to invest in it. But I look and think, because Bitcoin was the first mover, um, it will always have a place in the ecosystem and most likely it will serve as some form of digital gold. Now, when we think about like gold, we tend to think of something that moves glacially and Bitcoin moves anything but glacially yeah. where you're like, yep, we were at 67,000 back in October and now we're at 30,000 today. Um, so that would not exactly be something I would constitute as a safe savings account, gold bar type of investment. And how is it, what's the latest on regulations? Like, do you mean maybe coming. explaining that to me? It's coming. Like, what's the, you know, everybody's talking about the SEC regulations for crypto. Do you mind educating me a little bit there? Sure. And um, I believe that we're 
you know, two weeks ago, I would have said we're six to 12 months away from regulation. Now I'm, I believe it'll be here way sooner than that. And like a lot of people, a lot of presses covered the meltdown of the cryptocurrency Luna, which back to something called a stable coin. And so I've had questions for years about, I can invest in this stable coin and get a yield of 10% on my money. And when we were looking at like, well, if it says stable and I can get 10%, yeah, I mean, that's definitely way better than zero in a checking account. But then you have to ask yourself of how does a stable investment um, generate a return of 10% in interest in a world where treasury bonds are yielding 2%? And this is a couple of months ago. And the answer is they are able to do it until somebody figures out how to profit from breaking them. And so there's a very large hedge fund called Citadel. And the rumor is that they were behind this short selling algorithm that they used to attack the price of Luna and ultimately destroy a cryptocurrency that a month ago had a market valuation of over $20 billion. So they literally wiped it completely off the map. That is wild. So, so yeah, so there's uh, because of the term being used stable coin and the fact that people lost of billions of dollars, you know, the, the conversation from a regulatory level from Janet Yellen, you know, the Treasury Secretary from the SEC has increased monumentally. And I think we'll especially be focused on these assets that call themselves stable coins. Mm -hmm. But it's always been my belief that regulation is coming. And it's actually good. Um, Why is that? You know, many people in the space are would disagree with me because this is decentralized finance and this is a way to get away from the government. It seems counterintuitive to the DeFi movement. Right. And so it's like it flies in the face of the very principles for why this stuff was established. But as you can see, you have regular people that look at something that's called a stable coin and... They invest in a stable coin thinking, wow, I could get 10% on my money and don't look at it for a week. And all of a sudden it's been totally wiped out and now you've got zero. Um, or all of the scams that take place from cryptocurrencies like the Squid Game coin that launched last year. Like this is in a new space where there are no rules and no regulatory body governing it and a lot of money at play obviously there's going to be a crap ton of criminals that come and take advantage of the system. So regulatory framework is necessary to protect consumers. Mm. And not everybody that invests in things has even a small level of understanding. And that is ultimately what the government is kind of intended for from a consumer protection agency you know, perspective. Like, you know, like, why can't we buy Roundup anymore? Oh, because it was making all gardeners sick and giving people cancer. If you didn't have somebody regulating those things, then we'd still be using Roundup and gardeners would be getting cancer. Yeah, so a little bit of regulation is hopefully only to help uh, ensure a little bit more safety for the end users, especially people that are you know, maybe not as well educated in what the potential uh, downfalls could be. Well, and when you have regulation come into a market, I think what it does is give it genuine legitimacy, because if now you've got regulatory frameworks that are these almost like in a bowling alley, how you have bumper rails, right? Um, the point is, is that 
you get rid of a bunch of the ripoffs, you crush out the scammers, and then it makes it a far more transparent and acceptable environment for more institutional capital to come in. And so I think with, you know, with actual regulation, you will have trillions of dollars that'll roll into this space because they don't have the threat that this could be something that's going to get broken or it's going to be scammed or whatever. So to switch gears just a little bit to circle back on something we touched on earlier, you know, NFTs, crypto, blockchain, minting. What about like, where did you go to get this education? You know, it's not like they're teaching this in schools yet, which maybe there will be right part of you know the economics class that you're going to be taking down the road for our kids. But what where do people go to learn some of this stuff? Where did you learn all of this, especially being so new to the space? Uh, all on Twitter. It's the funniest damn thing. And you know, of course, there's lots of articles and you can read about things. And, you know, there's places like the Coin Telegraph and a lot of things mm -hmm. that are covering the space. But what I've found is that all of the really important conversations from extremely large investors are taking place right out in the open on Twitter, whether it's about NFTs and, and about crypto. And so when I kind of started realizing that there were some really smart people writing on Twitter and posting articles that they'd written, I started following them. And I just started soaking up information. And, and the crazy thing about the space is it's people are actually very willing to help. And so if somebody writes something on Twitter that you don't understand, you can comment back and say, hey, can you explain that? I'm new here. And Shockingly enough, people don't just troll you for being new. Um, a lot of times, like people will say, hey, just shoot me a DM and happy to answer your questions. And the, so it's very helpful. It's a very small universe of people still. And the respect that there's still probably less than 600,000 people that are active in buying and selling NFTs. And still all of those conversations are right there. Yeah, I think when you mentioned just the people being so friendly to give you advice or, you know, what they've learned. I mean, my problem is how do you verify who's the credible source? I mean, you know, obviously people look at a blue check and think that, okay, this person's legit. But how do you know that they're not just pumping their own bag, so to speak, if I'm getting that lingo correct yeah. uh, when they're giving you this type of advice? Well, I mean, I think that what we have to assume is that everybody is pumping their own bags, um, you know, and, and blue checks on Twitter don't mean anything you know, anymore because people that got a blue check figured out they could sell their Twitter account to somebody else. And those people are not the person that were verified. It's just a blue check. And so that's why, you know, like what it pays to do is to go and read people's timelines and, you know, see what they've been commenting. Um, I've done my best with the people that I follow to, you know, follow people that I think are intelligent or amusing. And so if you go to my you know, Twitter handle, which is just B-A-Y-C Joker, then follow the people that I do. You'll start getting a feed of mostly terrible humor, but also people that are writing very intelligently about this stuff. And it's pretty easy to you know, be able to key into the people that um, are really being thoughtful versus that are just there to tell jokes. 
Well, and it seems like you found your way into the right circles uh, of that because, you know, I, I saw, was it well, some of your NFTs that were featured in magazine recently and um, how you were talking to a couple of the founders of some of the bigger projects out there? You know, how did you, was it just DMing people and trying to be able to figure out what it is that they're interested in or? Yeah, I mean, that that's a big thing is like, you know, number one, I think everybody just wants to be heard. And so... Mm. I think like when when we make when we post a tweet and somebody else comments on it, it makes us feel good. And so if you want to have a conversation with somebody in DMs, start commenting on what they've you know posted. Um, it naturally is going to be an affirmation for them. And so you know you can always ask somebody in a comment, "Hey, I just need a little bit of advice. You know, I noticed you were writing about this. Do you mind if I DM you?" And the chances that they say yes are like ninety nine percent. And, and even people that are controlling hundreds of millions of dollars in NFTs and Ethereum, I've noticed by and large are that way as well. Um, my world of women were featured in Rolling Stone because I got DM'd by, you know, an author that was writing for Rolling Stone. And at first I was like, is it a scam? Right. Um, but then I went and checked her, you know, you know, background on LinkedIn and everything else. And since she didn't ask me to send her my seed phrase to her, um, I was like, cool. And then all of a sudden they were in there. So it's just by, I think, being authentic, asking questions and just being kind. And that in this space is actually more often than not rewarded. And I think that you said something, a seed phrase, right? So I yeah. know I have a MetaMask account, but you want to educate? Yeah. So the... One of the security protocols on you know, digital wallets is, of course, you have a password, but everybody at the time of creation is issued their own 12-word seed phrase. And it's kind of like you know, the president's you know, IQ test, uh, boy, girl, dog, you know, TV, or whatever it was. But they give you 12 words, and that is something that you write down on a piece of paper and you put in a safe. You don't publish it on the internet because that 12-word phrase if you get locked out of your wallet or forget your password, can be used to unlock your you know, digital wallet. So if anybody else comes in possession of that, now they have control over your NFTs. And you mentioned the wallet. So MetaMask is probably the most common yep. digital wallet. And that seed is definitely a phrase that you do not want to give to any of your friends or uh, share out in the ethernet, internet. But what about um, physical? Like there's hardware wallets, too, yeah, right. So there's you know things called uh, you know. Uh, I feel like I've heard of like Razor or yeah, and apologies for you know certain things escaping me in my age, but there's all kinds of hardware wallets that you can use that are, look like flash drives, and you mm. plug them into your computer, and it's got like a numerical code that you're pairing with your current digital wallets. And it's only when those are plugged into your computer and active that you can initiate transactions on, you know, the NFTs that you own. Mm. And is that something you recommend? So people are getting started out. Do you think software wallet versus physical wallet, one better than the other? Or? I, I mean, it, once you have something of significant value, um, I think adding that layer of security where you've got it's almost called your hot wallet and your cold wallet. Mm. And so your hot wallet might be the thing that you're buying your new NFTs through. And let's say one of them turns out to be something special. Well, you can transfer that to a different wallet address that's now associated with your cold hard wallets, you know, the, the, the little flash drive thingy that you stick in there. Oh, so you can transfer from MetaMask or OpenSea 
my NFT that's you know the best one that I've got from a financial perspective, and it will no longer be shown on your account, or is it just from MetaMask to? Yeah, so what happens is like all of your NFTs are associated with a wallet address, and anybody can go and pull up that NFT and figure out who it's registered to. Um, but you can also transfer that NFT to a different wallet address. And let's say that that one is associated with your cold wallet that you need to have you know, stick your flash drive you know, into your computer to be able to initiate transactions. People can still see that NFT is associated with that. It still displays on OpenSea, but you can only buy, sell or transfer it if you've got the thing stuck into your computer. Okay. Something I definitely should probably look into. Yeah. So it's, you know, like there are lots of scams that exist out there. The most important thing is if you're ever on Discord, don't click on links because chances are somebody's trying to scam you. You know, it's it's just like over Instagram where you get these messages that say, oh, by the way, I've really been admiring you and I think you're super sexy. Can, can, we, can, we, can we talk at a DM string? Chances are it's a dude. Um, like... That's just life. I get those for like NFT projects yeah. all the time lately. All I, don't even, I don't even know how. They're like, Brian, you know, here's a, a you're going to miss out on the mint 24 hours. And I'm like, how do you even find me? I don't even advertise that on my social media account. And, you know, I mean, our data is being sold, right? Mm, true. And that is one of the problems when we're, we're posting about the things that we're doing in Web3 on old Web2 mechanisms. Mm. Um, so if I write, you know, in my Twitter comments, you know, NFTs, then you can go and search that, you know, just the your tagline NFTs, and they can scrape that and create a list of people to start bombarding with their projects. Yeah, I definitely have seen that happen. You mentioned Discord, though. Uh, do you mind? I think this is kind of the new Twitter for NFTs or for crypto. Yeah. Uh, maybe telling a little bit about what is Discord and how can people start to utilize that as a potential other uh, avenue for educating themselves in the space? Yeah, so what you figure out is that uh, Twitter is the, the surface level where you know people are having conversations and projects are writing about you know what they're working on. But most NFT collections or anything in digital assets mm. uh, will also have a Discord link and you can join their Discord group. And in there is where they're run by moderators from the team. If you own an NFT in that collection, it'll give you the ability to be verified and then be able to be in the owners only section. And the idea is that you know, it's where you go to learn more about projects and where you are hopefully gleaning information that isn't being stated publicly on Twitter. The problem with Discord, um, as you know, we've seen a number of times, is that projects get hacked and the people that hack them do it for a very specific reason, because they'll immediately start publishing like, you know, World of Women Mint Now. You know, and people go and mint now on that page and it just takes the Ethereum, right? And so it's a conversation that's been happening for over a year. And the problem is, is that nothing else has come out to take Discord's place. But I can tell you it is, it is an important part of NFTs because of the information you can get there. But it's one of the least popular things because it's so, the security behind it sucks. 
So, uh, yeah, I think that's what I have experienced myself is all those DMs, all those messages from people trying to, you know, ask for your ETH wallet or, you know, (laughs) I'll trade you this for that, you know, for uh, your NFT and just give them their, you know, your ETH or MetaMask account. It's like, I just, I turned it off. I deleted the thing because I just, it was too much. And now I have learned that you can unfollow or, you know, block DMs from anybody outside of the project, I think is how you typically do it, right? Yeah, like I don't accept direct messages. Yeah. And I haven't been in Discord in over a month. Mm. Um, You know, if there's something that I need from Discord, I'll just ask my interns to go in there and do it because I just don't have time for the maddening Discord cycle. I just found it to be annoying and, you know, it's got risk and I'm not about it. Yeah. So... Thank you for all of this overview. I think only, um, man, there's so much for me to go down the rabbit hole wise. And I feel like it's only going to continue to go spawn more and more questions for me about this space. Other tech that you're interested in outside of, you know, maybe talking Web3 or crypto, NFT land, are you in the AR, VR realm? Is that something that you think is going to be maybe, you know, paired with this you know metaverse world that we're about to be living in or anything else you can share yeah because like the the question is is at what point does this stuff become real world usable mm. and as we've you know talked about before you know apple has been working on these ar glasses for over a decade now and you can go and look at all their patent filings and be able to see that you know think google glasses but that don't suck Um, So generally, when Apple comes out with a new product, it is pretty amazing. And I believe this is going to be the next massive frontier for products for them because, you know, like you can only sell so many iPhones and MacBooks and like the technology gets better. So we all upgrade. But Apple's a two and a half trillion dollar company. And so that next big project are these AR glasses that look like regular old glasses that have a camera in them that have, you know, earbuds in them and that also display an 8K resolution. And so all of the functionality that you have in your iPhone is going to be in these glasses, totally heads up. And so you think when I'm when I'm using a map, right? Like I'm usually looking down at my phone, but if I now have these glasses, it'll show you the little arrow. If I'm on a Zoom call, I'll be able to be on a Zoom call in my AR glasses. I'll be able to watch Netflix, anything you can do. But where this is potentially the biggest game changer is like we know that you can go into the metaverse using virtual reality glasses. But one of the problems that people suffer from is they get motion sickness. Um, it's, it's too intense of an experience. And I think AR could potentially be that bridge um, that allows reality to be augmented. And so when I say that, um, what I'm really referring to is um, stuff again that me and you probably won't ever do, but especially somebody like Ali, for instance. Um, like if you have your AR glasses and you own an NFT, you'll be able to enable your NF- you know, an NFT with your glasses. And let's say that is an outfit or it is a display or anything that you want around you, an aura that you own yourself. And so you'll be able to click a button and anybody that's got those AR glasses on will now see you in a completely different set of clothes. Or for instance, let's say you're a doctor and there's a medical emergency 
And people are like, is there a doctor in the house? And that doctor, if they wanted to, could click the button. And now you see the double spinning helixes over their head that verify that they're a doctor. So in my eyes, like, I think like if I'm up in the club and which I'm not because I'm old <laughs> and people would look at me funny, um, even though I want to be, but you know, and you know, I'm 21 years old and we have these AR glasses and they have NFTs and the club has enabled AR effects. Like gone are the days where they need to shoot actual fire out of the wall for special effects, where they have to create actual smoke to come in, which you're hoping is an anthrax. Yeah. The point is, is that those AR effects will come in, that you can change your clothes into whatever you want during that moment. And it just is like this added layer of customization. Do you think at that point, though, people are just not going to go to the club because they're going to be able to have this experience just by putting those glasses on? Or the fact that it's augmented reality is a part of what they're experiencing. It just enhances it. Yeah, I mean, I think that like, there will always be like a club social environments and that'll enhance the experience. But like, especially if you're from a place that doesn't have an entertainment opportunity, that you grow up in Alaska or you're in a very small farming town in the Midwest and there isn't a nightclub and you're looking for community that in this ready player one type of environment that in a metaverse, there is a club that you can go in and be anybody who you want to be. Like we have so many social stigmas that exist, so many insecurities body shaming, all of these other aspects that cause people to feel like they're not enough. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think about is, you know, people who have issues like that or are naturally introverted can show up as whoever they want to be and not hide behind something, but rather they allow themselves to be free to interact in these environments where you're not judged by your appearance or your social socioeconomic background, like my shoes are tattered. Like I'm, I'm in this place, in my avatar, in this experience with this community of other people and able to enjoy it no matter where I am. I think that's a very optimistic way of thinking about it. I really hope that that's the way that it goes. You know, being able to help people with, you know, especially mental health, right? A big topic, especially, you know, this day and age and this month in particular is, you know, how do you help people get out of that fear or that anxiety that they have? Because um, right now, social media, Web 2.0 has done the complete opposite of that. And I think yeah. if anything, it's, it's hurt our generation of youth and people that are going to school now. And, you know, even, you know, my millennials and, you know, I don't know if it's affected you guys at 45 almost, but uh, I think it's affected everybody. Yeah. And so I think to see it from that um, perspective would be nice. Well, and, and obviously, you know, as this progresses, there are going to be negative experiences that occur inside of the metaverse because like we're humans, you know, we'll always be able to take something good and make it bad. Mm. But on so many different levels, because things are anonymous um, and you'll have your choice of where you want to go and who you're going to be around, most people will just hang out with their friends digitally in an environment where they can experience what they want. And maybe that's gaming. Maybe it's exploring the ancient ruins of Rome. Um, maybe it's you know studying scientific developments. Um, maybe it's being in a virtual dance club. Like those experiences will all be at the tip of people's fingers in the same way that the internet um, took isolated geographies and allowed people to be able to 
touch books and learning, um, you know, at a moment's notice, like they couldn't have 20 years ago. Yeah. The, the opportunities for it are going to be endless. And I'm just hoping that we use it for the right, the, the greater good. And it's oh, not- we won't. <laughs> no, no. I mean, yeah, some people will. But the reality is, is human nature. Yeah. So we talked a little bit earlier about alternative investing and that you invest in companies and you know, other, uh, you know, you evaluate, I think, early seed and, and startups. Uh, I think you've mentioned a little bit about an NFT fund that might be coming out, or, or is that still something that maybe you can shed a little bit of light to, or is it too early to no, let the cat out of the bag? Happy to talk about that. And, you know, when I shared, you know, that you were one of three people out of over a hundred that I've talked to about getting involved in this space to actually do something about it. Mm-hmm. It was definitely meant as a compliment because it is, it is scary to do something new and to go through this aspect of setting up these wallets and how do I actually buy these and fear causes most of us to stop you know, before we've even tried something. I think that the, general attitude amongst smart people is that, yes, this is something, but it's not something that I want to go in and do myself. Um, you know, and my whole purpose for forming a digital asset fund, which is in formation stages and is only going to be available for people that I know personally. It's not for the general public. It's just an avenue for people that want to have exposure to this area to be able to invest inside of it and to let my partners and I be able to parse through the myriad of opportunities and try to find the ones that matter in an effort to help you know people earn you know good returns with exposure to this space in its early stages. Man, that's fascinating. So is that something that you can do under the Lagunitas, uh, your current? It's dotted. And so there's, as you know, fortunately, like this is, you know, my public investment firm space is super regulated. And so there's all sorts of compliance that I need to employ to make sure that the two entities are completely separate. And, and it's why um, if I didn't have a public investment firm, doing something like this would be much easier. But I have to go through all of these different checks to make sure compliance is correct, to make sure that I'm satisfying the regulators and doing everything in as transparent a manner as, as is possible. So it has to be two separate entities. Gotcha. So how do you evaluate those opportunities? Is there, you know, uh, if there's an NFT creator out there that wants to get into, what's the fund going to be called? Uh, it's going to be called Aped Capital. Okay, Aped Capital. How do they get in the room with your team and uh, how do they ultimately get you to be one of the people to help fund it? Yeah, so I, I think that like, I just because of my involvement in this space, just like you, you know, I get hit up on LinkedIn all the time. I get Twitter DMs, Instagram DMs. And for the most part, I don't respond to a lot of them. I already know the teams that I want to invest in. Mm. Um, And so in certain ways, just it's a lot like dating where you're observing the characteristics and how people move through this world with authenticity and honesty. And um, it's just like anything, right? Like, if I'm going to pass along a referral of Brian, I think this is an amazing attorney. Um, it isn't probably somebody that I just met yesterday because I want to see how they move and how they work. And so that same piece of observing, watching as people build 
and really placing our bets, whether they're in NFTs or other digital assets or on direct investments in the companies themselves is based on the quality of the founding teams. Sound investment advice. It's, it's the same way that you would evaluate a different company that you're going to go into. Yeah. I mean, it's the same. Like, why do we want to invest in Tesla? Um, because we believe that not just Elon Musk, but the team of people that he's assembled around himself um, are transformative thinkers. And so your bets come as like, yes, the technology is great. But I also believe that these people are going to be able to stay out in the front and continue to innovate. Love it. Well, I'm so excited to watch from the sidelines and learn a little bit more as you go through this process. I think it's uh, an interesting space and one and to see what you've been able to do these last you know, 15, 18 months, uh, the following that you've been able to generate on Twitter and just the knowledge that you've been able to learn. I, I remember our first conversation to now. Uh, I just can't believe how much you've been able to grow in the space. And it gives me encouragement to be able to go a little bit deeper into it. So I want to say thank you. Where can people find you? I think you mentioned it a little bit earlier. Is Twitter the only place where you typically are? Or is there anywhere else people can follow along? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, like you can look me up on LinkedIn. That's, you know, kind of like my public profile just under my name, Michael Knittel. Um, You know, but I keep all of the NFT stuff. It's obviously just something I'm doing at a personal level. I don't make recommendations about like where people should invest and that stuff because that is a private investment hmm. um, and something where I'm still just a baby as well. Like anybody that tells you that they've got this space mastered, um, it's a space that's been around for basically a year and a half. So we're all just in active learning mode. But if you follow me at B-A-Y-C Joker, um, that's my Twitter handle. And if you've got questions, DM me. Um, comment on things. I'm happy to help however I can. Oh, well, I appreciate that. And thank you for everything you've done to educate me, you know, for helping me figure this out a little bit today. I hope you guys all enjoyed learning a little bit about Web3, cryptocurrency, uh, and where this metaverse thing is going to be going. So, Mike, thank you so much. I appreciate it, brother. And let's go Dubs and I. Sounds good, Brian. And thank you again for my ring. Never forget this day. Brian Produsco, good dude, and just grateful to be here. Oh, appreciate that, man. Thanks again. And that's a wrap for episode number seven. I hope you all enjoyed this Web3 conversation with Mike and can take away a nugget or two on how to dip your toes into the space. Now, reminder and disclaimer, this is not financial advice, but information to help spark more learning on these alternative investments. If you want to learn more from Mike, check out his LinkedIn, Michael Knittel, or on Twitter at B-A-Y-C-J-O-K-E-R. As always, if you liked the show, it would fire me up for you to leave a review, share this with your favorite father, friend, and NFT enthusiast out there, hit the subscribe button, and leave a comment to tell me what you thought. If you want more content from me, please follow along on Instagram at Bduzco, B-D-U-Z-C-O. So thanks again for tuning in. Now go be great and go fitbo some shit out.